0: Jeremiah chapter 25, we're going to be there in verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. I'm going to do, this is going to be as much of a teaching as it is a preaching, but I, it's a teaching to show you the, the character of our Lord God. It's a teaching to show you that, it's going, it's going to, uh, this teaching uh, or preaching, however you want to look at it, it's going to show you two things this morning. It's going to show you that, number one, one of the characters of our God. It's going to show you one of the characters of our God. And number two, it's going to show you. The incredible uh, accuracy of your Bible. It's going to show you the, the, how, how, how incredible our Bible is. So look at Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and, Nebuch- and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against the inhabitants. Thereof. Let me stop there. So what he's saying there in verse 8 is, you haven't been listening to my words. And that's the question I have for you this morning. Have you been hearing the words of God? Because he said, you haven't been listening to my words. So Jeremiah, what, Jeremiah is a prophet right before the time where all of Israel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple mount, and takes, uh, destroys the people of Jerusalem, and kills them by the millions, and then takes uh, all the goods out of the temple and takes it back to Babylon, and brings all all the, the leftover Jews that are left, he brings them into captivity. So this would be the captivity of Israel. So this is Jeremiah, and he's a prophet right before that takes place. And God is prophesying through Jeremiah, telling him, hey, this is why this is about to happen, because they have not heard my words. I will send and take all the families of the north, that would be all the kings of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them, he calls him. He calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant, he calls him my servant because he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar for his goal of destroying Jerusalem and the people off of the land, and will bring them, look at the middle of verse 9, and will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. Brothers and sisters, you can't read the Bible without being scared for America. If you say, there's, there's God's chosen people, there's His land, there's the people He chose, and this is what He does to them because this is the judgment He brings down? Man, we got it coming here in America. It's coming. Guys, don't, if, he, if He doesn't judge America, He's going to have to apologize to the Jews here. Because we're a lot worse off than they are here in in verse 9. Now look at verse 10. Moreover, I will take them from the voice of mirth, take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So there's the prophecy. God says, I'm about to destroy them. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, and they're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar and those nations, he says, for 70 years. There's the prophecy. And this whole, uh, in verse uh, 70 years, verse 12, and it shall come to pass, when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. And I'll bring upon that land, talking about the land of Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon, that land, all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah had prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. So what the Lord says is, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem, I'm going to destroy the Jew, I'm going to take them into captivity for 70 years. And then after 70 years, I'm going to turn around and destroy Nebuchadnezzar for destroying the Jew. That's how our Lord God works. He goes, I'm going to use you to accomplish what I want, and then when I'm done using you, then I'm going to destroy you for going against my people, the Jew. That's how the Lord Lord God works. And he says there in verse 13, I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to understand your words, Lord God. Help us to piece this stuff together, Lord God, as we uh, study it, try to understand it, Lord God. And we can't do it without your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit will lead God, direct us this morning into all truth, Lord. We thank you again for your grace and mercy and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. In his holy name we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to preach this morning on God the Accountant. God the Accountant. God is a God of numbers. If you do any kind of study in your Bible, those numbers start popping up. It's the same numbers over and over and over again. You start seeing these numbers. And here's this number 70, and you've got to question yourself, why, why didn't He lead them in captivity for 5 years, for 40 years, for 30 years, for 25 years, for 80 years, 75 years? Why? 70 years. And you start questioning yourself, because you see God, and He works in numbers. Obviously, the number 3 is associated with God Almighty. That's God's fingerprint, the number 3. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. God works in threes like that. You see God's fingerprint when He's working in threes. Whenever Jesus picks out the disciples and He picks out the three chosen one, it's three: Peter, James, and John. It's all that, that number three runs all through the Bible. That number three is associated with God. Number one is associated with God. I'm 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 the one Lord, and the name is my name is one, and my, I'm the one Lord. He's a Lord of one. So he's three, he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, but he's one Lord, he's a trinity, he's one, he's a combined. So you see the number six, number six associated with man. Man was, uh, man was uh, created on the sixth day. So you go all the way to Revelation, then you have the Antichrist, 666, six, six. that's the number of man trying to be like God. Six, the number of man, a man, the Antichrist trying to be like God. And the number three, 666. Six, six. Number seven all through your Bible. Number seven is the number of completion. You see, when he works in sevens. He, work, he works for seven, and that number seven is a number of completion. We have seven days in a week. That's a completed week. That number seven is obviously, obviously associated with completion. The number five, five is the number of death. You'll see that all through the Bible. Uh, those numbers are associated with God. And what I want to show you is that God is an accountant, and he keeps numbers. Have you ever noticed in, in Luke, in reading in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus Christ is talking about the sparrows and everything, and in the middle of all of that, in Luke chapter 12, he says, all the hairs of your head are numbered. God has all the hairs of your head numbered. And I know there's some of us in here that you don't have to count as high as others in here. But all the hairs of your head, God, have you thought about that? Maybe you've forgotten that. Everybody in this room, God has your hairs numbered. That's, an, that's a God of accounting. I mean, He's a he's counting God. He likes to keep numbers. He likes to keep tally. And we need to look at this and say, okay, why 70? And that's what we're we'll going to look at this morning. Why, why did God put 70 on the nation of Israel? Why not 75? Why not 25? Why not 40? Okay, let's start in Leviticus chapter 25, and we'll get the answer. God's got the answer in the book. He's got it in the book. Look at Leviticus chapter 25. God's got the answer in the book. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. God's got the answer in the book of wine number 70. And when you start studying this stuff out, you think, "Ah, Pastor, what difference does it make? You might be in here this morning might be saying, what difference does it make if it's 70 or 80 or 90? What difference does it make? Well, if you get curious and you study it out, you'll find out a great truth about God when you look at this number 70 and what's going on. Look at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. Way back in Leviticus. Who reads Leviticus? <laughs> Who wants to read Leviticus? Well, there's a lot of important stuff here in Leviticus. All these laws that you're just skimming over if you're reading your Bible, well, they're important to God. Look at verse 1. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. A Sabbath for the Lord, thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which goeth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. So when God brings in Israel into this promised land, one of the laws when they come into the land, He said, Okay, when you come into this land, I want you, you can work the land for six years. You can plow it, you can sow it, you can reap it, but on that seventh year, you got to let the land rest. That's what he just said. When he created man, he created man in six days. He said, I want you to work six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to rest. Rest is very important to us. Some of us in here are not getting enough rest, and we need more rest. It's important for us to take that rest. And I think there's times in my life, I've, I've told somebody, and this is, this is my God-honest testimony, that when I got COVID, the first time I got COVID, that was God saying, you need to stop. Because I couldn't go to work, I couldn't go to church, I couldn't come out here. God literally stopped me. And that was the biggest blessing for me. Because I couldn't, I couldn't even go out of the house. You, can, you ask my wife, I drive her nuts. It's like, okay, I got a day off, let's go somewhere. <laughs> Can we just sit around the house and do No, 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 no. I'm just so restless all the time. And God literally stopped me, and that really was a blessing in disguise because it let, me, it let me rest. It let me rest. And so God looks at the land, this piece of dirt of his promised land, and he says, I want you to work that land for six years, and on the seventh year, I want you to let this land rest. Now, there's some farmers I don't know any around here to do this, but some farmers have a thing of a one, of one seventh, where they take a one seventh of their land and they, they block it off and they say, okay, this this one seventh of this land here, I won't I'm not going am not going to do anything with it this year. And the next year they just rotate one seventh out. So where the land one seventh of the so every seven years that one that land is that piece of property right there is getting some rest. Uh, brother uh, Irwin that comes in. Cliff Irwin, talk to him about this. He knows this scripture. And one time I was talking about this scripture, and Brother Irwin caught me out to, after church. He goes, you know, when I bought that property out there, man, it was, it was dead. There was nothing on it because they had been farming it to death. He said, the first thing I do is I let, I let the land rest like God said. And I, I, just, I wouldn't let nobody go on it. I wouldn't let cows on it. He goes, I wouldn't let nobody on it. And I said, I let it rest. And I just gave it rest for years and years. He said, that land now, he said, it's just boom. It just came back alive. And he'll give you a great testimony of following these principles. And this is God's principles on how to treat the land. It's work it for six years and then let it rest that seventh year. Okay, six years, rest on the seventh, okay? There's that number, six. Work it six. Then rest on the seventh. See how God's a God of numbers. So look at, we're in in chapter 25, look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. Same chapter. The land shall not be sold forever. This is the Lord speaking. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. God says, that land belongs to me. And I'm giving it to you, but that land belongs to me. And that land of Israel, when you see what's going on in the news today, that land belongs to God, and he gave it to the Jew. It's, and, and that's another totally different sermon. I preached on that recently. But that land belongs to the Jew, and God gave it to him. So God really, really loves that land enough that he says, okay, work that land for six years and let it rest on the seventh. So I don't know if it's come across your mind yet or if you've thought about this yet or not. The question is, what if I don't do that? What are you going to do to me then? So God's got an answer for that. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. Because you know how it is? There's people that are not going to do it. <laughs> you, rules are made to be broken, amen? That's what a lot of people think. And when you give somebody a rule and God gives you a rule or a law, some people, some people just don't follow them. They're not going to follow them. So look at Leviticus chapter 26. Look at verse 32. Skip down to verse 32. Sorry, guys. Look at verse 32. So this is God's warning. This is God's warning. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 32. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies will dwell therein, shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. That sounds a lot like what what Jeremiah was describing. Now look at verse 34. Then, and when I do all of that, when I, I run you off the land, then, verse 34, then shall the land enjoy her sabbaths. As long as it layeth desolate, ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest, and enjoy her sabbaths. Wow. Look at verse 35. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. There's the warning. When I kill you and kill kill your people and run you off my land, that's when the land will finally get some rest. Because it wouldn't rest. And as long as I have you run off this land, then my land will get to rest. God takes this stuff very, very seriously. And he's in the God of an accounting. And he's counting up. He's like, one, two, three, four, five, sixth year, seventh year. Why aren't you letting it rest? It's the seventh year. Let it rest. And man keeps on working it. One, two, three, four, five, six. God says, all right, six. I counted six. It's the seventh one. Time to let it rest. And man ignores God and keeps on working it. And God says, you know what? I'm tired of this. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Are y'all warm enough in here? It's cold. Y'all too cold still? I'm up here a little bit higher, so it's like one degree below hell right up in here. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Some people don't get this about God. <laughs> You've got to understand the character of God. He cares about this stuff. He cares enough about it to kill you. He cares about, enough about this stuff to run you off. About his land. I'm not speaking about this land out here in Texas. I think God does care about the land out here in Texas. But I know that God cares about that land in Israel. He says, This is my land, and the way I have it, I want it. Work it for six, let it rest on the seventh. I'm counting it up. And if you don't, I'm going to run you off so it can rest. So here's 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And this is the chronicle of Israel being led into captivity. This is when they're led into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the chronicle of it. This is, this is the description of it. So look at verse 14 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem, made it holy. And they weren't, they weren't allowing the temple to be holy anymore. Verse 15, And the Lord God, of their father, sent to them by his messengers, that's the prophets and the priests, Isaiah, Jeremiah, rising up betimes, times. B times that's before times, like B, is that's is abbreviated for before time, like early. So what that B times means is early, rising up early and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God cared, and he says, I, I sent them warnings. I sent them warnings. I sent them by my messengers. I sent them preachers and prophets, and I sent them and I prophesied to them, and I warned them over and over, early. I made sure they had plenty of time. I kept warning them, hey, you need to let the land rest. You need to start obeying my words. You need to start listening to my commandments. You need to start listening to the way I want things done here. And I was warning them over and over, over, because I had compassion on them. God says at the end of verse 15, he says, he had compassion on his people. You read through the Gospels that it said Jesus Christ will look on the people and the Bible describes Jesus Christ as having compassion. He had compassion on them. We serve a God of compassion. But He's not a God of compassion so much that He's going to let you just keep getting away with it. There comes a limit. Where God says, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough of your foolishness. I'm counting it and counting it and counting it and counting it and counting it. And I've warned you and I've warned you and I've warned you. And there comes a day where God says, I'm done. I've counted it up. I've tallied it up. You're way past. And we think God's just going to let us keep getting away with it, 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 keep getting away with it. it, And we're not getting— and God's so long-suffering and God's so compassionate that He doesn't strike us down right then. We're like, well, I guess, you know, God doesn't care. I didn't let the land rest 44 years ago. My grandfather didn't let the land rest. And somebody comes up with the Bible and says, well, here's the Bible says we need to be letting the land rest. Meh. It's, who cares? But verse 16 is exactly what happened. But they mocked the messengers of God. You're foolish. That's stupid. It's been going on for a couple of hundred years. God's not going to do nothing about it. Why should we believe it? God never does, there's nothing but, and despised his words. It's just the Bible. You can't believe that. That's probably written by men. Moses just wrote that because he wanted to try to control people. Moses was into controlling people is why he wrote that in Leviticus. That's really not God's words. That's how people despise God's words. And despised his words and misused his prophets. They killed Isaiah. They tried to kill Jeremiah. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Here's the scariest. Look at this verse right here. End of verse 16. Till there was no remedy. Wow. though know, there comes a time where God says, I'm done. I'm fed up. There is no remedy. There is no remedy got into some heavy discussion at work uh, the other day with a guy that was, uh, was pro-transgender and pro-LBGQT, and we were talking about some things, and we got to talking about this society and got to talking about this nation, and I basically told him, I said, it's done. I mean, you got your way. You got your wish. I don't know why you're arguing with me. It's going the way you want it. It's not going to change. It's too late to go back. I basically was telling him, I don't see no remedy. And I told him, I said, if the Lord, I told him, if the Lord don't come back and I die 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you're going to look back at this old man you're going to say he was right. When you look at the way this nation is going, you're going to say, I wish I would have listened to those old preachers. I wish I would have listened to those old people of God. I wish I would have listened to the Bible. Because it's right. And there's no remedy. There will be no remedy. If there was no remedy for Israel, how in the world is there going to be a remedy for America that's the scary part about reading these verses bro. when I read this stuff I try to apply local I try to apply this to today like okay if God's up in heaven and he is and he's accounting stuff and he is he's a God of accounting he's he's tallying things up and I look at America and I'm seeing this over and over I'm like how much more is God going to put up with it before he comes in and destroys us I don't want to be just a messenger of doom because I think there could be a remedy and the remedy for this nation is what we talked about in Sunday school. It's Jesus. <laughs> the answer always is Jesus. If there can be a great revival back and a turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ, we, that, that's the answer. That's the remedy. The remedy in America is always going to have to be Jesus. Not religion. Not the Baptist church or the Methodist church or any other church. It's got to be Jesus Christ, and a true turning back to Jesus Christ. Keep your hand here. Turn, turn to uh, chapter 14. Oh, is that where, where we're at here? Or am I in the wrong place? Where is that at? Or is it Seven. Yeah, chapter 7. Look at second chroni- Look at chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. And I'm gonna show this to you. Because people have this weird idea how God's gonna make everything all right. All we gotta do is pray, and everything will be okay. All we gotta do is pray and everything will be okay. Well, it's not. You can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and it's not. You need to go read your Bible. People talk like that. Don't read the Bible. Because if you go, okay, turn to Second Chronicle seven. I'm about to show you something, but listen, guys, go home and read the whole book of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah's being warned by God. Go warn them. I'm about to destroy them. Go tell them. And Jeremiah, he's, he's a suffering. He's a prophet of sorrow. And there's a time where God tells Jeremiah, "Listen to me, Jeremiah. Don't even pray for them. Don't even lift up the prayer for them. I won't hear it. I'm done with them." And he was. Just what you're reading about, there was no remedy. He got to the point where God says, don't even pray for him. So I drive around Brownwood, and I drive on some other, pre- and they got these signs they have out in people's yards that say, they say 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and you got, if you're there with me, you're there with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and in those signs it says, pray America's only hope. That's what the sign says. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, Pray for America, America's only hope. Okay, That's what the sign says. I hate that sign. You say, Brother Kigan, how could you be so judgmental? How could you be so negative? I hate that sign because it gives you a false hope that if you'll just pray, everything will be okay. It isn't just about prayer, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14. This is the verse they quote. If my people... And if you want to apply this to a Christian, we'll say, if my people, a born again believer in Jesus Christ, let's apply it, okay, like they're applying it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, that's the first part of the remedy. That's the first part. The recipe of the remedy is you got to humble yourselves. Is there a lot of humbling going on in America? No! We're more prideful and arrogant than we've ever been. If my people will. We're so prideful, we're having pride parades. We're having Pride Month. If my people, they are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, there's one part of the recipe, and seek my face. Are there people seeking seeking God's face in this country? I don't see a lot of it. I know I'm not everywhere at every place, but when you follow what's going on in this nation... We have a, it starts at the top. When you look at the top, the president, through Congress, through our elected officials, nobody. It's scary how nobody's representing Jesus Christ. It's scary. I know there's some, I know some other, I know there's some people you think are doing it, and maybe they are. And if they are, God bless them. But it's not a majority of them. They're a very, very small minority that love Jesus Christ and do things in the name of Jesus Christ. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and look at the last part of the recipe and turn from their wicked ways. Repent. See, for you to put up a sign that says, just pray, that's all America needs. No, what America needs is to humble themselves down. They need to seek God and they need to repent. They need to turn from their wicked ways. There's the remedy. And the only way you're going to do that is going back to Jesus Christ. And that's what God gave them to to the Jew right there. Then, he says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's when he'll do it. Israel wasn't going to do it. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, and maybe I'm wrong, I would love to be wrong, America's not going to do it either. They might pray. They might say they'll pray. But... Being humble, don't see a lot of humbleness going on. Don't see a lot of people seeking God's face. Sure don't see a lot of people turning from their wicked ways. I don't know how many people come tell me, talk about, we talk about church and say, well, what kind of church do you have out there? I said, well, just Bible-believing church, just people, sinners saved by grace. He goes, They'll say, do you preach on hell? Like, are you a hellfire damnation preacher? And they're asking me that, like, are you one of them? And man, I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I look them right in the face. Yep, yeah, I'm one of them. I stare them in the eye, too. Make them uncomfortable. You know how you do that to a dog, and the dog goes, starts growling. That's what I'm doing to them, To stare them in the eye. You know. Yeah, because we need more hellfire damnation preachers. We need the truth, guys. I'm telling you, God's going to judge this country. And if you haven't noticed, your address that you get your mail in is in this country. And when God judges, judges America, we're under America and we're going to get right under with it. Now, God will take care of us. I believe that's all my heart. We're Christians, God will take care of us. But there were a lot of believers there in, in the times of Jeremiah, in the times of Ezekiel, in the time when they were bringing out, when they were bred, led into captivity, and there wasn't a whole lot of them got out. And we're about to read it. So go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36. Till there was no remedy. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 30, 16 says there was no remedy. Now verse 17, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees. That's Nebuchadnezzar. We read that in, we read that in Jeremiah, the Ch- Chaldees. Who slew their young men with the sword and the house of their sanctuary. And, and God, and the, the, Nebuchadnezzar sends this guy. He had no compassion upon the young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. God said, i give them all up to you. Verse 18, And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of the princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And that's recorded in Daniel. Verse 19, And they burnt the house of God, and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the godly, or excuse me, goodly vessels thereof. That happened. Came in, destroyed the temple, destroyed the wall. Verse 20, And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him. That's Daniel. That's Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Those are those four that you read about in the book of Daniel. They were carried off, and they were turned into eunuchs, and they were carried off into Babylon, and they became servants of Nebuchadnezzar. That's who, what you read about. And, that, and that's, what the, that's the story of Daniel. But look at verse 21. This is the key. Verse 21, this shows you that God's an accountant. This is the whole sermon on here. This is what I was trying to bring out to you. Look at verse 21. This is it. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. Uh Uh-oh. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Seventy years. You know what that says? God said, you worked six years and you let it rest for seven. They kept on working. He goes, one. They, did it, they worked another six years. They didn't let it rest on the seventh. God said, two. They worked six years, Didn't let it work on the se- didn't let it rest on the seventh. God said, three. They did that 70 times. And on the 70th time, God said, that's it. I'm done. Get them out of here. And he ran them off the land. 490 years before they started that up. They stopped letting the land rest. And what's interesting, 70 times 7 is 490. When you study out those dates and you go back, it's right when Samuel, the book of Samuel, right when Samuel, the prophet, comes and tells God, they, don't, they want a king like the nations around them. They want a king. They want a, they want a king like the nations around them. And, and, and I, I don't like it. And God says, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you as the prophet. They're rejecting me as a king. And tell them, if they have a king like the kings around them, the kings are going to come in and take all the good-looking women. He's going to take all the good-looking boys. He's going he's to bring them into battle. He's not, it's not going to be good for them. But they, and they said, we want a king like the nations. And so Samuel backs off, and they get King Saul, the first king of Israel. And that's exactly what he did to them. They rejected God as their king. And from that moment on, you can trace it almost to the day. From that moment on, for 490 years, they didn't let the land rest. Nobody looked at, the, nobody looked at this Bible. Nobody paid attention to God's words. They despised them. And after God put up with it for 490 years, God said, I'm done, run them off. Because I want the land to rest for 70 years, and that will catch it up, and then I'll bring them back in here again. That's your God. He's a God of accounting. Peter walks up to the Lord. Lord, am I supposed to forgive my brother seven times? Because that's a good seven number, right? We can all count to seven, amen. Amen. I, that's a seven number seven of completion. Lord, am I supposed to forgive my brother seven times? What did Jesus Christ say to him? Nay, I say unto you, seventy times seven. That's exactly what you're reading there in Second Chronicles thirty six verse twenty one. God put up with it seventy times seven, four hundred ninety years, and then God said, "Done. Uh, I'm done." Now, I'm not in here trying to teach y'all to only forgive your brother 490 times. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, there's something with that number. You see, God cares about that land enough to run them off. And then you go right back into the book of Ezra, the ne- very next book. That's Ezra coming back into the land to rebuild the temple, rebuild the, land, rebuild the wall through Ezra and Nehemiah. Because chapter 1, verse 1, that's where he starts, uh, they start bringing them back in. They start bringing them back in. God's a God of numbers. Can we all admit that we lied one time in our life? So I'm starting to close, and I'll I'll tell you where all this is going. I think we all in here can admit that we've lied in our life. How many times? Have you counted it up? (laughs) I I don't have that big a calculator. I don't have any idea. How, I don't have any idea how many times I've lied in my life. God does. God's got an account of that. There's a lie. There's a lie. God's a God of a. If God has numbered the very hairs of my head, He's numbered every one of my sins. He's numbered every one of your sins. See the scariest part for a lost man or lost woman is that account is being held against them up in heaven. And when you get up into heaven, and we, I preached on the great white throne judgment, we st- when a lost man or woman stands before God at the great account, and it says, the Bible says the books are open, and all those books are open, I think the most terrifying thing for some of those people is going to realize how meticulous God is with his books. You counted that one, God? I counted that one. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. God keeps meticulous books. And with Jesus Christ, what happens with Jesus Christ, when you take G- Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God takes that blood of Jesus Christ and He covers that account. And you can get that account settled up in heaven. So whenever you open up those books of the account of all the king and sins, you can't read them because it's covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to have that account settled. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't work your way out of that. That's a debt you can't pay. If you could pay it, God would let you. You can't pay it. That's why he had to die on the cross. That's why he had to die on the cross. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all might not realize this, but numbers don't lie. I, as, a, as a superintendent at my job, there's times I have to, I have to reprimand people for taking too much sick leave. And I, I, have, I have an accounting of how much sick leave they've used. And I'll have to call them in my office, and I'll sit them down and say, Hey, man, you're taking, too much, you're taking too much sick leave. Well, how much am I taking? And I push the, I push the paper across there because the numbers don't lie. I push the paper across in front of them, and they look down at them, and some of them get red-faced when they see that number sitting in front of them. I didn't realize I missed that much. Yeah. You missed you miss, you miss a m- whole month out of one year. You took a whole month out of one year. Guys, numbers don't lie. And we're serving a God, a God of an accounting. And He counts that stuff up. I'm, I'm here to tell you, God takes this stuff serious. He takes it serious enough to where He counted up 70 times 70. So, okay, out of here. And as Christians, we need to realize, man, our sins are being counted. I need to put them under the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not counting like, ah, that's no big deal. That's oh, it is to God. As he marks it and tallies it up. And say, man, Lord, I need to get down on my knees. I need, I need to ask you to forgive me and cover it in the precious blood of Jesus Christ and to settle that account. Because, man, I couldn't stand to, think, to stand to come before the judgment seat of Christ. I said, man, you know, there's so much that I, that I have counted off on here that you didn't settle with me before you got up here. I'd much rather settle it right here and get right with God than to get up into heaven and answer to Jesus Christ. That's just something I'm not looking forward to. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at indiangapbaptist.com.